Section 9 of Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Library of the World's Best Mystery and Detective Stories, Volume 3. By Julian Hawthorne, Editor. Section 9. The Avenger. Part two by Thomas de Quincey An examination went on that night before the magistrates, but all was dark, although suspicion attached to a negro named Aaron, who had occasionally been employed in menial services by the family, and had been in the house immediately before the murder, the circumstances were such as to leave every man in utter perplexity as to the presumption for and against him. His mode of defending himself and his general deportment were marked by the coolest nay the most sneering indifference the first thing he did on being acquainted with the suspicions against himself was to laugh ferociously and to all appearances most cordially and unaffectedly he demanded whether a poor man like himself would have left so much wealth as lay scattered abroad in that house gold repeaters massy plate gold snuff-boxes untouched that argument certainly weighed much in his favor, and yet again it was turned against him, for a magistrate asked him how he happened to know already that nothing had been touched. True it was, and a fact which had puzzled no less than it had awed the magistrates, that, upon their examination of the premises, many rich articles of bijouterie, jewelry, and personal ornaments had been found lying underanged, and apparently in their usual situations articles so portable that in the very hastiest flight some might have been carried off in particular there was a crucifix of gold enriched with jewels so large and rare that of itself it would have constituted a price of great magnitude yet this was left untouched though suspended in a little oratory that had been magnificently adorned by the elder of the maiden sisters there was an altar in itself a splendid object furnished with every article of the most costly material and workmanship for the private celebration of mass this crucifix as well as everything else in the little closet must have been seen by one at least of the murderer's party for hither had one of the ladies fled hither had one of the murderers pursued she had clasped the golden pillars which supported the altar had turned perhaps her dying looks upon the crucifix for there with one arm still wreathed about the altar foot, though in her agony she had turned round upon her face, did the elder sister lie when the magistrates first broke open the street door, and upon the beautiful parquet, or inlaid floor which ran round the room, were still impressed the footsteps of the murderer. These, it was hoped, might furnish a clue to the discovery of one at least among the murderer's band. They were rather difficult to trace accurately, those parts of the traces which lay upon the black tessellae being less distinct in the outline than the others upon the white or coloured most unquestionably so far as this went it furnished a negative circumstance in favour of the negro for the footsteps were very different in outline from his and smaller for aaron was a man of colossal build and as to his knowledge of the state in which the premises had been found and his having so familiarly relied upon the fact of no robbery having taken place as an argument on his own behalf 
he contended that he had himself been among the crowd that pushed into the house along with the magistrates that from his previous acquaintance with the rooms and their ordinary condition a glance of the eye had been sufficient for him to ascertain the undisturbed condition of all the valuable property most obvious to the grasp of a robber that in fact he had seen enough for his argument before he and the rest of the mob had been ejected by the magistrates but finally that independently of all this he had heard both the officers as they conducted him and all the tumultuous gatherings of people in the street arguing for the mysteriousness of the bloody transaction upon that very circumstance of so much gold silver and jewels being left behind untouched in six weeks or less from the date of this terrific event the negro was set at liberty by a majority of voices among the magistrates in that short interval other events had occurred no less terrific and mysterious in this first murder though the motive was dark and unintelligible yet the agency was not so ordinary assassins apparently and with ordinary means had assailed a helpless and unprepared family had separated them attacked them singly in flight for in this first case all but one of the murdered persons appeared to have been making for the street door and in all this there was no subject for wonder except the original one as to the motive but now came a series of cases destined to fling this earliest murder into the shade nobody could now be unprepared and yet the tragedies henceforward which passed before us one by one and sat leisurely or in terrific groups seemed to argue a lethargy like that of apoplexy in the victims one and all the very midnight of mysterious awe fell upon all minds three weeks had passed since the murder at mr weishaupt's three weeks the most agitated that had been known in this sequestered city we felt ourselves solitary and thrown upon our own resources all combination with other towns being unavailing from their great distance our situation was no ordinary one had there been some mysterious robbers among us the chances of a visit divided among so many would have been too small to distress the most timid while to young and high-spirited people with courage to spare for ordinary trials such a state of expectation would have sent pulses of pleasurable anxiety among the nerves but murderers exterminating murderers clothed in mystery and utter darkness these were objects too terrific for any family to contemplate with fortitude had these very murderers added to their functions those of robbery they would have become less terrific nine out of every ten would have found themselves discharged as it were from the role of those who were liable to a visit while such as knew themselves liable would have had warning of their danger in the fact of being rich and would from the very riches which constituted that danger have derived the means of repelling it but as things were no man could guess what it was that must make him obnoxious to the murderers imagination exhausted itself in vain guesses at the causes which could by possibility have made the poor weishaupts objects of such hatred to any man true they were bigoted in a degree which indicated feebleness of intellect but that wounded no man in particular while to many it recommended them true their charity was narrow and exclusive but to those of their own religious body it expanded munificently and being rich beyond their wants 
or any means of employing wealth which their gloomy asceticism allowed they had the power of doing a great deal of good among the indigent papists of the suburbs as to the old gentleman and his wife their infirmities confined them to the house nobody remembered to have seen them abroad for years how therefore or when could they have made an enemy and with respect to the maiden sisters of mr weishaupt they were simply weak-minded persons now and then too censorious but not placed in a situation to incur serious anger from any quarter and too little heard of in society to occupy much of anybody's attention conceive then that three weeks have passed away that the poor weishaupts have been laid in that narrow sanctuary which no murderer's voice will ever violate quiet has not returned to us but the first flutterings of panic have subsided people are beginning to respire freely again and such another space of time would have secretized our wounds when hark a church bell rings out a loud alarm the night is starlight and frosty the iron notes are heard clear solemn but agitated what could this mean i hurried to a room over the porter's lodge and opening the window i cried out to a man passing hastily below what in god's name is the meaning of this it was a watchman belonging to our district i knew his voice he knew mine and he replied in a great agitation it is another murder sir at the old town councillors albanas and this time they have made a clear house of it god preserve us has a curse been pronounced upon the city what can be done what are the magistrates going to do i don't know sir i have orders to run to the blackfriars where another meeting is gathering shall i say you will attend sir uh, yes no stop a little no matter you may go on i'll follow immediately i went instantly to maximilian's room he was lying asleep on a sofa at which i was not surprised for there had been a severe stag chase in the morning even at this moment i found myself arrested by two objects and i paused to survey them one was maximilian himself a person so mysterious took precedency of other interests even at a time like this and especially by his features which composed in profound sleep as sometimes happens assumed a new expression which arrested me chiefly by awaking some confused remembrance of the same features seen under other circumstances and in times long past but where this was what i could not recollect though once before a thought of the same sort had crossed my mind the other object of my interest was a miniature which maximilian was holding in his hand he had gone to sleep apparently looking at this picture and the hand which held it had slipped down on the sofa so that it was in danger of falling i released the miniature from his hand and surveyed it attentively it represented a lady of sunny oriental complexion and features the most noble that it is possible to conceive one might have imagined such a lady with her raven looks and imperial eyes to be the favorite sultana of some amurat or mohammed what was she to maximilian or what had she been for by the tear which i had once seen him drop upon this miniature when he believed himself unobserved i conjectured that her dark tresses were already laid low and her name among the list of vanished things probably she was his mother for the dress was rich with pearls and evidently that of a person in the highest rank of court beauties 
I sighed as I thought of the stern melancholy of her son. If Maximilian were he, as connected, probably, with the fate and fortunes of this majestic beauty, somewhat haughty, perhaps, in the expression of her fine features, but still noble, generous, confiding. Laying the picture on the table, I awoke Maximilian and told him of the dreadful news. He listened attentively, made no remark, but proposed that we should go together to the meeting of our quarter at the Black Friars. He colored upon observing that miniature on the table, and therefore I frankly told him in what situation I had found it, and that I had taken the liberty of admiring it for a few moments. He pressed it tenderly to his lips, sighed heavily, and we walked away together. I pass over the frenzied state of feeling in which we found the meeting. Fear, or rather horror, did not promote harmony. Many quarreled with each other in discussing the suggestions brought forward, and Maximilian was the only person attended to. He proposed a nightly mounted patrol for every district, and in particular he offered, as being himself a member of the university, that the students should form themselves into a guard, and go out by rotation to keep watch and ward from sunset to sunrise. Arrangements were made toward that object by the few people who retained possession of their senses, and for the present we separated. Never, in fact, did any event so keenly try the difference between man and man. Some started up into heroes under the excitement. Some, alas for the dignity of man, drooped into helpless imbecility. Women, in some cases, rose superior to men, but yet not so often as might have happened under a less mysterious danger. A woman is not unwomanly because she confronts danger boldly, but I have remarked, with respect to female courage, that it requires, more than that of man, to be sustained by hope, and that it droops more certainly in the presence of a mysterious danger. The fancy of women is more active, if not stronger, and it influences more directly the physical nature. In this case, few were the women who made even a show of defying the danger. On the contrary, with them, fear took the form of sadness, while with many of the men it took that of wrath. And how did the Russian guardsman conduct himself amidst this panic? Many were surprised at his behavior. Some complained of it. I did neither. He took a reasonable interest in each separate case, listened to the details with attention, and, in the examination of persons able to furnish evidence, never failed to suggest judicious questions. But still he manifested a coolness almost amounting to carelessness, which to many appeared revolting. But these people I desired to notice that all the other military students, who had been long in the army, felt exactly in the same way. In fact, the military service of Christendom, for the last ten years, had been anything but a parade service, and to those, therefore, who were familiar with every form of horrid butchery, the mere outside horrors of a death had lost much of their terror. In the recent murder, there had not been much to call forth sympathy. The family consisted of two old bachelors, two sisters, and one grandniece, the niece was absent on a visit, and the two old men were cynical misers, to whom little personal interest attached. Still, in this case, as in that of the Weishaupts, the same twofold mystery confounded the public mind, the mystery of the how, and the profounder mystery of the why. 
here again no atom of property was taken though both the misers had hordes of ducats and english guineas in the very room where they died their bias again though of an unpopular character had rather availed to make them unknown than to make them hateful in one point this case differed memorably from the other that instead of falling helpless or flying victims as the weishaupts had done these old men strong resolute and not so much taken by surprise left proofs that they had made a desperate defence the furniture was partly smashed to pieces and the other details furnished evidence still more revolting of the acharnement with which the struggle had been maintained in fact with them a surprise must have been impracticable as they admitted nobody into their house on visiting terms it was thought similar that from each of these domestic tragedies a benefit of the same sort should result to young persons standing in nearly the same relation the girl who gave the alarm at the ball with two little sisters and a little orphan nephew their cousin divided the very large inheritance of the weishaupts and in this latter case the accumulated savings of two long lives all vested in the person of the amiable grandniece but now as if in mockery of all our anxious consultations and elaborate devices three fresh murders took place on the two consecutive nights succeeding these new arrangements and in one case as nearly as time could be noted the mounted patrol must have been within call at the very moment when the awful work was going on i shall not dwell much upon them but a few circumstances are too interesting to be passed over the earliest case on the first of the two nights was that of a courier he was fifty years old not rich but well off his first wife was dead and his daughters by her were married away from their father's house he had married a second wife but having no children by her and keeping no servants it is probable that but for an accident no third person would have been in the house at the time when the murderers got admittance about seven o'clock a wayfaring man a journeyman courier who according to our german system was now in his wanderjahre entered the city from the forest at the gate he made some inquiries about the couriers and tanners of our town and agreeably to the information he received made his way to this mr heinberg mr heinberg refused to admit him until he mentioned his errand and pushed below the door a letter of recommendation from a silesian correspondent describing him as an excellent and steady workman wanting such a man and satisfied by the answers returned that he was what he represented himself mr heinberg unbolted his door and admitted him then after slipping the bolt into its place he bade him sit to the fire brought him a glass of beer conversed with him for ten minutes and said you had better stay here to-night i'll tell you why afterwards but now i'll step upstairs and ask my wife whether she can make up a bed for you and do you mind the door while i'm away so saying he went out of the room not one minute had he been gone when there came a gentle knock at the door it was raining heavily and being a stranger to the city not dreaming that in any crowded town such a state of things could exist as really did in this the young man without hesitation admitted the person knocking he has declared since but perhaps confounding the feelings gained from better knowledge with the feelings of the moment 
that from the moment he drew the bolt he had a misgiving that he had done wrong. A man entered in a horseman's cloak, and so muffled up that the Germanyman could discover none of his features. In a low tone the stranger said, Where's Heinberg? Upstairs. Call him down, then. The journeyman went to the door by which Mr. Heinberg had left him, and called, Mr. Heinberg, here's one wanting you. Mr. Heinberg heard him, for the man could distinctly catch these words, God bless me, has the man opened the door? Oh, the traitor, I see it. Upon this he felt more and more consternation, though not knowing why. Just then he heard a sound of feet behind him. On turning round, he beheld three more men in the room. One was fastening the outer door, one was drawing some arms from a cupboard, and two others were whispering together. He himself was disturbed and perplexed, and felt that all was not right. Such was his confusion that either all the men's faces must have been muffled up, or at least he remembered nothing distinctly but one fierce pair of eyes glaring upon him. Then, before he could look around, came a man from behind and threw a sack over his head, which was drawn tight about his waist, so as to confine his arms, as well as to impede his hearing in part, and his voice altogether. He was then pushed into a room, but previously he had heard a rush upstairs, and words like those of a person exulting, and then a door closed. Once it opened, and he could distinguish the words in one voice, and for that, to which another voice replied, in tones that made his heart quake, I for that, sir. And then the same voice went on rapidly to say, Oh, dog, could you hope? At which word the door closed again. Once he thought that he heard a scuffle, and he was sure that he heard the sound of feet, as if rushing from one corner of a room to another. But then all was hushed and still for about six or seven minutes, until a voice close to his ear said, Now wait quietly till some persons come in to release you. This will happen within a half an hour. Accordingly, in less than that time, he again heard the sound of feet within the house, his own bandages were liberated, and he was brought to tell his story at the police office. Mr. Heinberg was found in his bedroom. He had died by strangulation, and the cord was still tightened about his neck. During the whole dreadful scene, his youthful wife had been locked in a closet, where she heard or saw nothing. In the second case, the object of vengeance was again an elderly man. Of the ordinary family, all were absent at a country house, except the master and a female servant. She was a woman of courage, and blessed with the firmest nerves, so that she might have been relied on for reporting accurately everything seen or heard. But things took another course. The first warning that she had of the murderer's presence was from their steps and voices already in the hall. She heard her master run hastily into the hall, crying out, "'Lord Jesus! Mary, Mary, save me!' The servant resolved to give what aid she could, seized a large poker, and was hurrying to his assistance, when she found that they had nailed up the door of communication at the head of the stairs. What passed after this she could not tell, for when the impulse of intrepid fidelity had been balked, and she found that her own safety was provided for by means which made it impossible to aid a poor fellow-creature who had just invoked her name, 
the generous-hearted creature was overcome by anguish of mind and sank down on the stair where she lay unconscious of all that succeeded until she found herself raised in the arms of a mob who had entered the house and how came they to have entered in a way characteristically dreadful the night was starlit the patrols had perambulated the street without noticing anything suspicious when two foot passengers who were following in their rear observed a dark-coloured stream traversing the causeway one of them at the same instant tracing the stream backward with his eyes observed that it flowed from under the door of mr munzer and dipping his finger in the trickling fluid he held it up to the lamplight yelling out at the moment why this is blood it was so indeed and it was yet warm the other saw heard and like an arrow flew after the horse patrol then in the act of turning a corner one cry full of meaning was sufficient for ears full of expectation the horseman pulled up wheeled and in another moment reined up at mr munzer's door the crowd gathering like the drifting of snow supplied implements which soon forced the chains of the door and all other obstacles but the murderous party had escaped and all traces of their persons had vanished as usual rarely did any case occur without some peculiarity more or less interesting in that case which happened on the following night making the fifth in the series an impressive incident varied the monotony of horrors in this case the parties aimed at were two elderly ladies who conducted a female boarding-school none of the pupils had as yet returned to school from their vacation but two sisters young girls of thirteen and sixteen coming from a distance had stayed at school throughout the christmas holidays it was the youngest of these who gave the only evidence of any value and one which added a new feature of alarm to the existing panic thus it was that her testimony was given on the day before the murder she and her sister were sitting with the old ladies in a room fronting to the street the elder ladies were reading the younger ones drawing louisa the youngest never had her ear inattentive to any slightest sound and once it struck her that she heard the creaking of a foot upon the stairs she said nothing but slipping out of the room she ascertained that the two female servants were in the kitchen and could not have been absent that all the doors and windows by which ingress was possible were not only locked but bolted and barred a fact that excluded all possibility of invasion by means of false keys still she felt persuaded that she had heard the sound of a heavy foot upon the stairs it was however daylight and this gave her confidence so that without communicating her alarm to anybody she found courage to traverse the house in every direction and as nothing was either seen or heard she concluded that her ears had been too sensitively awake yet that night as she lay in bed dim terrors assailed her especially because she considered that in so large a house some closet or other might have been overlooked and in particular she did not remember to have examined one or two chests in which a man could have lain concealed through the greater part of the night she lay awake but as one of the town clocks struck four she dismissed her anxieties and fell asleep the next day wearied with this unusual watching she proposed to her sister that they should go to bed earlier than usual this they did and on their way upstairs 
Louisa happened to think suddenly of a heavy cloak, which would improve the coverings of her bed against the severity of the night. The cloak was hanging up in a closet within a closet, both leading off from a large room used as the young lady's dancing school. These closets she had examined on the previous day, and therefore she felt no particular alarm at this moment. The cloak was the first article which met her sight. It was suspended from a hook in the wall, and close to the door. She took it down, but, in doing so, exposed part of the wall and of the floor, which its folds had previously concealed. Turning away hastily, the chances were that she had gone without making any discovery. In the act of turning, however, her light fell brightly on a man's foot and leg. Matchless was her presence of mind, having previously been humming in air, she continued to do so. But now came the trial. Her sister was bending her steps to the same closet. If she suffered her to do so, Lottchen would stumble on the same discovery and expire of fright. On the other hand, if she gave her a hint, Lottchen would either fail to understand her, or, gaining but a glimpse of her meaning, would shriek aloud, or by some equally decisive expression convey the fatal news to the assassin that he had been discovered. In this torturing dilemma fear prompted an expedient, which to Lottchen appeared madness, and to Lisa herself the act of a sibyl instinct with blind inspiration. Here, said she, is our dancing-room. When shall we all meet and dance again together? Saying which, she commenced a wild dance, whirling her candle around her head until the motion extinguished it. Then, eddying round her sister in narrowing circles, she seized Lottchen's candle also, blew it out, and then interrupted her own singing to attempt a laugh. But the laugh was hysterical. The darkness, however, favoured her, and seizing her sister's arm she forced her along, whispering, "'Come, come, come!' Lottchen could not be so dull as entirely to misunderstand her. She suffered herself to be led up the first flight of stairs, at the head of which was a room looking into the street. In this they would have gained an asylum, for the door had a strong bolt. But as they were in the last steps of the landing, they could hear the hard breathing and long strides of the murderer ascending behind them. He had watched them through a crevice, and had been satisfied by the hysterical laugh of Louisa that she had seen him. In the darkness he could not follow fast, from ignorance of the localities, until he found himself upon the stairs. Louisa, dragging her sister along, felt strong as with the strength of lunacy, but Lottchen hung like a weight of lead upon her. She rushed into the room, but at the very entrance Lottchen fell. At that moment the assassin exchanged his stealthy pace for a loud clattering ascent. Already he was on the topmost stair, already he was throwing himself at a bound against the door, when Louisa, having dragged her sister into the room, closed the door and sent the bolt home in the very instant that the murderer's hand came into contact with the handle. Then, from the violence of her emotions, she fell down in a fit, with her arm around her sister, whom she had saved. How long they lay in the state neither ever knew. The two old ladies had rushed upstairs on hearing the tumult. Other persons had been concealed in other parts of the house. The servants found themselves suddenly locked in, and were not sorry to be saved from a collision which involved so awful a danger. The old ladies had rushed, side by side, into the very centre of those who were seeking them. Retreat was impossible. Two persons at least were heard following them upstairs. 
something like a shrieking expostulation and counter-expostulation went on between the ladies and the murderers then came louder voices then one heart-piercing shriek and then another and then a slow moaning and a dead silence shortly afterwards was heard the first crashing of the door inward by the mob but the murderers had fled upon the first alarm and to the astonishment of the servants had fled upward examination however explained this from a window in the roof they had passed to an adjoining house recently left empty and here as in other cases we had proof of how apt people are in the midst of elaborate provisions against remote dangers to neglect those which are obvious the reign of terror it may be supposed had now reached its acme the two old ladies were both lying dead at different points of the staircase and as usual no conjecture could be made as to the nature of the offence which they had given but that the murder was a vindictive one the usual evidence remained behind in the proofs that no robbery had been attempted two new features however were now brought forward in this system of horrors one of which riveted the sense of their insecurity to all families occupying extensive houses and the other raised ill blood between the city and the university such as required years to allay the first arose out of the experience now first obtained that these assassins pursued the plan of secreting themselves within the house where they mediated a murder all the care therefore previously directed to the securing of doors and windows after nightfall appeared nugatory the other feature brought to light on this occasion was vouched for by one of the servants who declared that the moment before the door of the kitchen was fastened upon herself and fellow-servant she saw two men in the hall one on the point of ascending the stairs the other making toward the kitchen that she could not distinguish the faces of either but that both were dressed in the academic costume belonging to the students of the university the consequences of such a declaration need scarcely be mentioned suspicion settled upon the students who were more numerous since the general peace in a much larger proportion military and less select or respectable than heretofore still no part of the mystery was cleared up by this discovery many of the students were poor enough to feel the temptation that might be offered by any lucrative system of outrage jealous and painful collusions were in the meantime produced and during the latter two months of this winter it may be said that our city exhibited the very anarchy of evil passions this condition of things lasted until the dawning of another spring it will be supposed that communications were made to the supreme government of the land as soon as the murderers in our city were understood to be no casual occurrences but links in a systematic series perhaps it might happen from some other business of a higher kind just then engaging the attention of our governors that our representations did not make the impressions we had expected we could not indeed complain of absolute neglect from the government they sent down one or two of their most accomplished police officers and they suggested some counsels especially that we should examine more strictly into the quality of the miscellaneous population who occupied our large suburb but they more than hinted that no necessity was seen either for quartering troops upon us or for arming our local magistracy with ampler powers End of section 9